0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Deering Live. It is Wednesday today, and it's the later time of 4 o'clock Pacific, 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, and we've got a really good show for you guys today. We're happy to be back uh, after another week off. So, let uh, me take time off, Dave. Can we take a little vacation from Deering Live?
1: Uh, hey, no, we've well, we got Chris Pandolfi coming up in, in a couple of weeks, so yeah. not yet. Yeah,
0: but this is not who we've got today. But got a nice... Really exciting one today, so we're, we're very, uh, I like the way we kind of shrouded this thing in mystery at the beginning of the show, like we haven't been announcing it for the last week or so, but uh, we won't get into that. All right, so before we get started, um, we just wanted to kind of uh, make a couple of announcements. Um, first and foremost, uh, some of you uh, astute and observant people out there may have noticed that we launched a limited run of our good timeline called the Cherry Limited. They are a uh, cherry maple cherry split rim. Um, with a uh, beautiful uh, peghead veneer also in cherry. It's a really, really nice-looking and beautiful-sounding instrument. There are only 100 of them, uh, and they can only be bought through select Deering dealers. So do go to the homepage, deeringbanjos.com, check those out, uh, and get them before they all go. And from what I hear, they've been going pretty quickly already. So hopefully there's some left. Um, And I think this weekend, are we where we're doing? It's just the dads and grads, because it's fun. We sure are.
1: Dads and grads. Yeah,
0: grad, which I have both. I am a dad, and I have a grad, which is awesome. There we go. So get,
1: some picks. get some pics,
0: get some pics, get some get some gear, get some merch, get some swag. But that's not why we're here. We just like to talk about this stuff at the top of the show. But um, we've got a much more important reason, and uh, we'll uh, we'll bring in our guest. I think in just a second. So this week we are excited to feature one of our favorite people in banjo. She's an award-winning banjoist, uh, she's a founder of the incredible Compass Records, uh, and she, as of, I think a few days ago, the newly elected Vice President of the Nashville Chapter of the Recording Academy, which is pretty incredible. Um, we're gonna bring her in in a second uh, to talk about her new record that's coming out. We're gonna be talking about unpacking the blues on Five-String Banjo, um, and her new Artist Work Series. There's a lot going on here, and there's a special treat in store uh, kind of midway through the show. So. We'll get to it. Let's bring her in, the incredible Miss Alison Brown. Did
2: well, you? you guys always make me blush. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: try. And we saw you at Murfest um, a few weeks back, which
1: was fun.
2: That was a lot of fun. A bit that muddy. A the day I saw you. It was. Hang uh, it out was a little
1: muddy, God. muddy and chilly. Yeah.
2: It was a, an epic tempest, but it was epic still tempest. great to see you.
0: How <laughs> was just? How was your time there? Because I know you're always running around at Murfest like
2: crazy person it was great we had two really fun sets and um managed not to get soaked to the skin and it's always um you know it's such a great way to start off festival season a great way to reconnect with everybody after the winter so i always feel very privileged to get to be there
0: it's like we always come out of hibernation and we just meet in a field in the middle of wilkesboro north carolina (laughs) yeah it just (laughs) always makes me think
2: of the old highland clan gatherings what that must have been like in scotland you know because there's kind of an element of that you know and yeah. under the big trees there in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, people yeah. coming, all the bluegrass clans gather.
0: This is <laughs> true. Nice. This is true. And we should explain as well that you, you're coming out to San Diego next week uh, to come see us, which is very exciting, but uh, you're not playing a Julia Bell right now because it because is.
2: Because it needed a little bit of TLC and, and refurbishment in the shop, so I know it's in Greg's magical fingers are yes. doing their thing, and getting it, get, giving it a little bit of a spa day
0: ready to go. Very spot. We had a, we had steam towels. We had the whole thing. Sign me up. Sign
2: me up. I'll I'll be there.
0: Banjos only, no humans allowed. So we'll bring you in next time. Very good. Well, do you want to kick off the uh, top of the show with a bit of a tune for us?
2: Um, I guess I could do that. Um, just I thought you were going to ask me to play something, and I'm like, after spending the last week playing um, a lot of forward rolls really slowly, I'm just trying to remember what, what I know how to play faster on the banjo. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But here's a little bit of a uh, Stephen Foster tune that I love, that I love it because it has the word banjo in the lyric. And then I, I'll play a little bit of Sally Ann just because I love that one too and always... Makes me think of all the old time music and the way Earl Scruggs took some of that inspiration and turned it into the, the banjo rocket ship that we all now know and love. So uh, yeah, here's one you'll know.
1: That's, that's so good. It's always so great to hear you play. It's so inspiring to hear you play.
2: Oh, you're so nice to say that. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Yeah.
1: Um, well, c- thanks for being here, and c- congratulations on the new album on banjo. Thank you. Really, really good recording.
2: I appreciate that, too. Um, yeah, it's eclectic. I was going to call it Sorry Not Sorry, but then I figured, well, I'll just own it. <laughs> I'm a banjo player. <laughs>
1: Well, before we get into that, I want to talk a lot about about the record. But before we get into that, you mentioned at the top that you are um, about playing a lot of a lot of forward roles slowly. So, can you tell us um, what, what what's that <laughs> that's all about?
2: Yeah, well, I'm super excited to collaborate with Artist Works to launch a banjo school um, that I think is going to be launching this summer. And um, so, it's a soup to nuts course from the most basic stuff to the more advanced stuff. And so, mm-hmm. I've just spent the last week out in Napa. Um, kind of really kind of trying to break it down and thinking about how to present especially like Scruggs rooted three finger style playing to people so that they can um, get into enjoying the banjo as expeditiously as possible so um, really kind of gearing a lot of my thinking towards people who are at the high beginning to intermediate level and how to help them on their banjo journey so that they can get in the jam session and join in as as quickly and as painlessly as possible it's been pretty fun it's it's fun to think back to you know kind of my thought process when I was a teenager, which was quite a while ago. It was almost back before they invented plastic, I think, but not not quite. Um, and just try to remember the things that you know, kind of what the aha moments were for me, and the, also but the things that challenged me too, and how to mm-hmm. help people pass those those points to keep them enjoying the banjo because it's, I mean, as you know, as we all know in this community, it's such an amazingly rich instrument musically, historically. In terms of the community, and I think um, so many people's lives would be so much richer for being a part of this community. So that's my hope with the course, is to, to bring a lot more people into the fold.
1: That's great. That's great. Um, and when is this supposed to launch?
2: Um, well, I believe that it's going to launch end of July, beginning of August.
1: Okay. All right. Well, everybody, keep a lookout. Um, the artist works people do, you know, what they do is, is so great over there, and there's the there's the Tony. Trishka course and the Gnome County mm-hmm. course on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely be checking it out. How are you differentiating from the Gnome and the Tony courses? Is there something that you're doing a little bit different?
2: Yeah, well, um, yeah, I guess I watched all of Gnome's course. And I would love to know half of everything Gnome has forgotten. I mean, he's such a phenomenal player. His, his playing really, his course, um, there's a lot of information that's very, a uh, scalar oriented mm. and um, a lot of tools that I felt that for somebody just starting out on the banjo, they might be a little bit, you know, beyond their reach. Um, so I wanted to really spend a lot of time mm. in my course, at least at this stage of the course, um, thinking about ways to mm. explain to people how they can incorporate melody into the role. Cause when mm. I've taught at banjo camps, I found that to be a big thing. That's a stumbling block for folks. It's like they can learn from tab but they can't figure out how to make up their own solo. So we spent a lot of time talking about finding melodies on the banjo, and then talked about a lot of like different role patterns and how they can lead you to different places melodically to try to take some of the guesswork out of how to make it kind of seem, seemingly happen on the spot when you're in a jam session. So I think that, that maybe that's a little bit different take. I mean, there's some bells and whistles there too, um, you know, on the more advanced stuff, but I really tried to give a deep dive into using different licks, for example, like, you know, like the potato lick that we all learn. Well, that's a great lick for setting up a melody anytime you've got a melody on the third string, because it goes right to your third string. So if you're playing Rolling My Sweet Baby's Arms, you could go My Sweet Baby's Arms, you know, you know, thinking about licks that way as, as musical phrases that can set up different pieces of melody for you. So I'd say that that's one of the things that will probably differentiate it from the other courses.
1: And how do you? I see a lot of students that can't have the same problem. They can't. They almost don't know what the melody of the song is because they've learned mm-hmm. like in a, a banjo arrangement, which has a lot of other notes in it.
2: Right. Exactly. Um,
1: can you? Is there something you can tell people right now, maybe on work on how to like figure out what the melody is and mm-hmm. and how to practice that part?
2: Yeah, well, the the first thing is to really try to get your ear connected to the instrument, because I find that, too. A lot of people, you know, like, you play this chord, but they can't really figure out where to grab the first melody note. So a lot of times I'll tell people, just hold your banjo and challenge yourself, you know. Strum that G chord and challenge yourself to think about what string you would start on if you were going to play Jingle Bells, you know. Just some melody that's deeply ingrained, you know. And no, there it is on the second string. You know, and find other melodies like that um, that are just, you know, super simple, like you know, any of those Christmas tunes, they're so deeply ingrained, or really anything else, like, uh, uh, you know, any simple melody. Start by strumming your G chord, and then think about, okay... How would I find that and then find it just using open strings? Because a lot of times those simple melodies, they're all right there in the G scale anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're all right there under your fingers. Your fingers are probably not going to even have to go, like, maybe past the second fret, third fret. I'm trying to think of why you would need to do that if you're using open strings. So that's the starting point, because to play anything, you need to be able to find a piece of the melody, at least the beginning piece of the melody. And any solo that you do, I mean, I'm a true believer in... You know you can never go wrong playing the melody so i always tell people that but you don't have to play the melody the whole time but it's very important to state it when you start off so you know something like if you're in a jam and you don't know the tune try to find the beginning part of the melody and state that and then you can kind of go off on your own path you know as you go on yeah but i I mean i guess the other thing about it is like we really kind of took a look at all the patterns in the bluegrass the structure of bluegrass songs because most of the bluegrass songbook is made up of like, you know, these 16 bar chunks. Mm-hmm. And right. it's all like these one, four, five chords. So I taught people how to do like a crash course in Nashville number system. Cause I, for me, that's a really helpful way to look at something on the page and see what's happening. I kind of figured that if people could see it maybe they could maybe understand more quickly that it's just this, these same patterns of one chords and five, four chords and five chords that keep cropping up. So I charted out a bunch, and I'm like, one, five, one, one, like, like a, G, D, a G, D, G, G, counting in two is a really common way that songs end. Like a lot mm-hmm. of bluegrass songs end with that, like even rolling my sweet baby's arms ends with that phrase. So if you know that, then if you can have a bunch of musical phrases in your pocket that say one, five, one, one, then you know that you can just insert those. Just a way like when you learn a language, you don't just learn words. Like, you learn phrases like, yo quiero Taco Bell, or whatever. Yo, yo quiero is a phrase that says, I want, in Spanish. and Then you can add whatever you want on the end of it. And I think music's kind of the same. So just trying to make it, rather than seeming like this impossible universe, like how do you possibly ever organize all this information to where you can get your arms around it, I think it is pretty simple if you break it down that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a question here from Joseph a regular viewer on Deering Live. Um, I'm an old and advanced beginner banjo guy, overwhelmed by the richness of the banjo. How do you overcome banjo ADHD to focus enough to become proficient? I keep bouncing from one style to another.
2: Uh, I know I know what you mean, Joseph, because I, I have jazz guitar ADHD, and I'm always like on those teaching platforms. And then I just can never stay in the jazz course long enough to really soak up all the information. And I think that that's one of the challenges, honestly, of having so many, so much information at our fingertips now compared to how it was when I learned to play. Like When I learned to play banjo, there obviously was no online resource at all. Um, and if you wanted to figure out how Earl did it, you're slowing the record down to, you know, 16 and a half RPM or whatever, and really having to dig it out. So when you actually did learn it, you really owned it. And nowadays you can go to YouTube and kind of gloss over all this information, but it's so hard to internalize it. So how do you do that? and i just find for me you have to dedicate yourself to going over and over and over it to make sure that it's really stuck in your head and then part two is that you have to find an application for it because the information just as a standalone bit of information isn't going to get you very far you need to take that information put it in a tune or tunes practice those tunes till they're really under your fingers and then get out there with other people and play them and then you will own it so i'm saying that to myself as as much as to Joseph you know because that's what I need to do with the jazz guitar stuff that I'm always trying to work on and that's the stumbling block for me is I never get out there and force myself to really use the information and once you do that though it will be yours and then I think it kind of keeps you from jumping around so much trying to find that one thing you just have to commit to one and own it you know
1: yeah that information can really evaporate if you, it's not if you, if you don't use it it's like it just it can slowly dissipate definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question too. Just looking at your playing, like on that inch, that song that you played at the top, um, and all you're playing, it's this. Your your rhythmic timing is so t- is so together. Um, yeah. no matter if you're playing something that's that's complex or something that's that's you know slower and and, and just and uh, it's 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 always right there. How do you really lock in and practice that that rhythmic timing to get that together?
2: Yes. Um, Well, first of all, I really appreciate you saying that because I'm married to a bass player, as you know. And so (laughs) when you're married to a bass player, your timing can never be good enough. So I really appreciate that. Um, Well, I think the main thing is, and I hate to say it because it sounds so boring, but really practicing with a time source. And these days it doesn't have to be a metronome. There are backing tracks that you can use that make it more fun. That's really important, because otherwise, if you sit in your room and you practice by yourself, you will reinforce all your bad habits. And there may be a part of a tune where you always drag, because it's hard to get your fingers from here to here or whatever it is. And you're not going to know about it until you try to play it with a time source and realize that's where you drag or that's where you rush. So that's the trick. And then you know, playing with other people who hopefully, if they don't have great time themselves, at least are aware that that's what they're trying to achieve. Because knowing the bar you're trying to hit, that's like the first part of the battle. If you don't know there's a problem, you can't fix it. Right. So, But if everybody's aware that that's what they're trying to do is play in really good time, then playing with that group of people that are all kind of very like-minded, then that would be a help too. But there's there's no nothing better than like that time source, whether it's a backing track or a metronome or some combination of the two things. And then just being aware and listening for it. Because as a banjo player, you have that responsibility in the band. You're like this... The, like the hi-hat, you know, the 16th notes. You've got to really subdivide those notes as equally as humanly possible. And there are guys mm-hmm. who do that so fantastically, like Terry Bacham is one of those players, yeah. like the right hand metronome. So envious of those guys. And I listen to that and aspire to that. So thank you for saying what you did. I really appreciate it.
1: Um, let's see. So uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the blues, playing, playing some blues. Um, make Getting the blues, your blues playing a little bit more developed, mm-hmm. um, and so what would you do to to rhythmically change it up or or chordally mm-hmm. change it up when playing a, a blues tune on the on the five string?
2: Yeah, well that's a, that's a, a great question and one that I will be ever more qualified to answer as time goes on because it's one of the personal my, one of my personal musical quests at the moment. You know, thinking about how to expand beyond just like the bluegrass harmony that's so based on just the triad of root 3-5, you know, that's like your G chord, your C chord. And that tends to be the box that we are in when we first start off in bluegrass music. And then at some point you realize that you can add a, four, a fourth tone to a chord and, you know, make a major seventh chord or make a dominant seventh chord or in there sort of make a sixth chord. And when you discover those things, it's like, at least for me as a banjo player, I was like, wow, you know, that just excited me so much. Like when I was um, growing up, I think I was a teenager, Pat Cloud was this legendary jazz player in the Los Angeles area, and he was like a mad scientist because he was figuring out all this jazz bebop stuff using open strings. And like that just means that if you figure out a really cool jazz line, you can't easily play it in another key, you're stuck in that key because <laughs> so you're using an open string. So. Man, I'd like to see inside his brain someday, but one thing he showed me that really stuck with me, I should trying to get this banjo in a little bit better tune. Our HVAC broke today in the studio, so, enjoying Nashville heat yeah. in true Southern fashion. But um, he showed me this little chord melody for Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star. This doesn't have much to do with the blues, but it, it is kind of leading us there. And he showed me these different chord voicings that you could play. I'll strum them so you can hear better. And so when I heard that. I was so excited because I really had never thought beyond just like G chord. And adding color to chords is something that I love to do. I mean, I love doing chord melodies like that little bit of Oh Susanna. You know, like in my course, as a way of teaching people to discover the fingerboard, um, which is something I'm a strong proponent of, um, even though when my teacher told me that, I ignored him because it didn't seem like any fun at all. One of the ways I try to make it a little bit more fun is to show people how you can play simple chord melodies As a way to like help you find those chord shapes you know make it more fun
1: and are you playing all those on the top three strings right now
2: right so i like to cheat because i have like the three fingers here and mm-hmm. so i just use three fingers here and and so i tend to do a lot of three finger chords and obviously you could do bigger chords but but you so you could play oh susanna that way but or you could also you know look for these other harmonizations so all that to say that there's so much more than just straight root three, five chords. So in thinking about the blues, um, you know, I love Joe Pass's guitar playing. And that's mm. like, he's my go-to guy when I'm sitting there having ADHD with jazz guitar. <laughs> and um, man, I love his playing so much. And I, I really resonate with it because his approach is so chordal, you know. And I think about right. the tune Foggy Mountain Special a lot because it's like the one blues kind of tune in bluegrass I can't think of another tune can you that's like a standard in the bluegrass repertoire that's quite right
1: offhand I, I know that there are but right offhand no
2: yeah basic one, four, five, and when uh, when Earl Scruggs played it, and the way the band played it with them, Foggy Mountain Boys, they were just playing like your regular kind of GCD chords, but what if, what if he thought more of the dominant chords, which in this case is like adding the flat seven, so just for anybody who's not quite there yet, because I was qu- not quite there yet at, at a point, and I remember it, when someone says flat seven, it's like a moment of panic but I like to tell people not to panic, because all you have to do to find it is count up the scale, which I'll do the easy way, and you count up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the seven is a major seven, and if you flat it, there's your flat seventh. So if you add that flat seventh to your triad, then all of a sudden you have the G7 chord. And one of the things I love to do is find all the different voicings for that chord, because there's so many of them can kind of get those under your fingers. There's one. There's one too. If you use open strings, there's closed strings. There's another one. That one. So like if you can get these chord shapes under your fingers, then there's all these places that you can go when you're backing up someone who's playing Foggy Mountain Special. Using that shape, you can go up here to your C chord. Back down here. So you could go up here to your D7 chord and walk it back, back to your G7 chord, or it's generally better to try to stay in one area on the fingerboard. Um, well, it's more efficient anyway, so saying you wanted to do that, you could go from this G7 chord, where your 7's here, to this C7 chord, where the 7. 1, two, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. So you could walk back the root to here, there's your 7 in a C chord. So you're basically going from this G7 chord to this C7 chord. I love this movement because it's so elegant on the banjo. And then you could mm. use a chromatic movement to move back into the C7 chord. And then back up here. And there's your D7 chord. Just two frets up from your C7 right. chord. And there's your C7 chord again. So that's just so elegant. And you can even just use the two notes. So this is pretty cool movement. Because you're you're going from G7 to C7. What's so cool is you don't have the root in the chord, but the band gives you the root. So you could just kind of do this kind of thing. There's your D7. So for all the banjo players out there, that's a really fun thing to mess around with. Next time you're in a jam and people are playing Foggy Mountain Special, just try to use this shape. Just try these two fingers.
1: So what notes are you playing? Are you playing the tritone there? Is that why you're moving back and
2: yeah. forth? Yeah, well, I I don't think it's quite a tritone. I'm playing the third of a G, which is a B, and, a, and the flat 7, which and is the, a, seven. Yeah. the F. Yeah, and then when I slide my hand back here, I've got the, the third and the flat 7 of the C. So all that stuff sounds so complicated, but it's really just a shorthand to refer to what notes you're playing. So don't be intimidated. I used to be intimidated. I try not to be now. Um... So there's your C7, back to your G, and then up to your D7. And obviously you could use that idea kind of on any chord, but if you're sticking with the blues, 1, 4, 5, and the key of G. Those are really good. And then there's some other, like, nice voicings that you could do. This is a Joe Pass thing I heard him do. And I'm not exactly sure what chord this would be. He's got a B flat on top of this, like, G7. Uh, sharp 9 there, Two-tone, yeah. yeah, I guess it would and you've got your chromatic movement into your C seventh. Cool. So that's another nice thing. So there's all kinds of great stuff that you can do there. And then when when you get up the neck, look for those G 7 shapes up the neck. Like you could do, you could do that. So in this in this one I actually do have the root right here on the second string at the eighth fret, and my third right there. But grabbing the seventh there, and so it kind of becomes this fun game of like a um, finger twister or something. Remember that old game, Twister? It's like if I said, okay, yeah, I want you to hold down the root on the second string and play a G7 chord. Like, what are all the different places you might think of? That would probably be the first one. But then if I said you could play the seventh on the second string, but I wanted you to keep your hand up in this part of the neck, you might do that. Grab that position. So anyway, that's that's some stuff that I really like thinking about because it starts to really open up the fingerboard for you. And if you're playing a tune like Foggy Mountain Special, you're not um outside the box by any means you could play those chords and people would think that they sounded really cool but they wouldn't you know, they wouldn't feel like you were doing something that wasn't stylistically within the box I think you know
1: yeah do you ever do the that like gospel move where you, especially in a blues tune where you'd like bounce to the 4 chord off, oh, yeah. off of the one say so like yeah it's on a G chord but you'd bounce to the C chord kind of within yeah
2: the... i think Ryan Cavanaugh does something like that too doesn't he uh, like uh, I've heard him do something a lot like that. I'm trying to think of what the shape was that he uses. That wasn't it, but yeah, I know what you mean though. Uh, I do do that occasionally and then there's ways, you know within the one four five, you can add other you can add two five ones in there to kind of make it harmonically more in- interesting. like bebop changes I guess is what they are where you start to stick some other harmonization in and like you said some gospel changes too so yeah, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of room in all of that you know for especially for bluegrass players because I think blues and bluegrass well, they share so much in common especially like those three stinking chords you know so I think yeah. that there's a lot to be pulled out of that and brought over to our world and applied in a way that can be um, musically satisfying and not stylistically inappropriate which is always um two good goals to have <laughs> right that yeah that's my
1: question can next question is is it okay for somebody to go and kind of pull some pull some like blues guitar licks not not a, really electric blues but like you know more like uh delta blues sort of sure. uh acoustic blues licks that would work well on the banjo and yeah, while playing not? bluegrass though is that not
2: breaking the well okay so Uh, it's i would say that if you're playing foggy mountain special it would be completely great um if you're playing like rolling my sweet baby's arms and you and you're really playing out of like the three finger style you know i i don't know i think i would say anything's possible but in that case i'd probably be more trying to think about something that flows within the two feel of the of the tune and Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't really interrupt the flow of what you're doing. But, you know, thinking about... Like, thinking about Tony Rice's play. A lot of that, that especially that, like, which was such a signature lick for, you know, Tony Rice. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of that comes from the blues, but sure... All that stuff totally works on the banjo. The only problem with it is you will then be out of tune immediately, like I am. (laughs) So you're going to go out of tune, but it's still worth it sometimes. And like doing that kind of choke, just like taking that C chord. You can do do that. Another great one is like grabbing a 13 chord. G thirteen chord. I really love this lick that I learned from Sonny Osborne up from Pathway of Teardrops. He went into a C chord, and this this G thirteen shape gives you a lot of. You could comp on that. Yeah. You could go there for your C C seven, like C seven with a nine in it. Just all that means is I'm playing C7 chord, but instead of having the root there, I moved it up to a, a D note. So the D note's the nine because it's you count up the scale. It's two and a nine, so you would call it a nine. So that's why that's called would be called a C9 chord. So from a G13. To, I mean, there's all these possibilities. And another yeah. great source of inspiration too is someone like Don Vappy, who is was a Steve Martin Banjo Prize winner. Was it was two years ago, I think um
1: yeah i don't remember the ten-
2: year but yeah about two yeah tenor banjo player kind of creole musical tradition plays some really swampy bluesy stuff and you know our banjos aren't that dissimilar you know the, a lot of the ideas especially with the plectrum banjo that's tuned so close to our banjo a lot of the ideas are very adaptable you know right yeah and i found that listening to eddie peabody lessons on youtube which is another fun thing to do <laughs> if you ever have a spare time <laughs> Because um, when I was growing up playing at Magic Mountain in the 70s, people would always come up to me and say, do you know Eddie Peabody? And I'm like, I right. know Earl, I know Ralph, I know Tony Trishka, <laughs> but I don't know Eddie. <laughs> and he was uh, a vaudevillian. He was one of the most famous entertainers in America at a certain point, probably in the 20s, maybe 30s. And he played plectrum banjo. And the only difference there is it was four strings and his fourth string was tuned down to a C. So kind of like the home sweet home tuning. Um you know and so there's a lot yeah. a lot that you can pull from that too so i guess all th- all this to say that you got to have your solid right hand technique which is why in my school i focused a lot on building up that building up good sense of time and all the roles and all that stuff but then once you get that solid foundation there's a lot of places that you can go that are pretty musically adjacent to where we are you know that are great mm-hmm. places to go for inspiration so
1: yeah you it's 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 great you know you're letting people a lot of people have barriers that they feel like they can't pull from other other places of inspiration to the banjo they really put some walls up when learning the banjo um yeah
2: Uh, well uh, i agree i mean it's it's such a in such in so many ways it's it's such a it's a challenged instrument you know and like it starts with the jokes and all that stuff and then you think well you know a lot of people hear the banjo because they heard dueling banjos, and then there's all that, you know, kind of like demographic baggage that goes along with that. Or they hear it, you know, in the movie Bonnie and Clyde, and they're like, oh, this thing is just like for bank robberies and high-speed car chases. And then, you know, in, in some way, I feel like the five-string banjo in the mainstream perception can be very pigeonholed. But it, it shouldn't be. It ignores the history of this instrument. and it, it ignores the breadth of music stylistically that's been played on this instrument over the course of multiple centuries you know it's yeah. super fascinating to me that way um, but i was going to since we were talking about eddie peabody yeah I'm, I'm sorry i interrupted you david no ahead. no go ahead, go, ahead. You, go
1: ahead i was
2: just going to say you know if you ever have time you can find his he made instructional albums <laughs> so we can think how fortunate we are these days to actually have instructional videos back in in the 50s and 60s probably in the 70s people were learning from LPs, Uh, so you can hear his voice, you know, explaining what to do, but his tune, uh, The World is Waiting for a Sunrise, is another, you can take all this information and use it on our banjo, whoops, it's all like, I didn't realize that, I didn't know that there was such a kinship between my banjo and a plectrum banjo but yeah Mm -hmm. the only difference is he's kind of playing out of home sweet home tuning and he doesn't have a fifth string but all that chord melody stuff it's all right there you know and it's so cool i think i love that stuff anyway and then you can take a tune like this it's so relatable it should make people super excited because uh we're not limited with this instrument even though mainstream perception might be that it is a limited instrument it, it really isn't it can do so much and there's so many places to pull ideas from
1: yeah you've always been able to demonstrate that well through your career you, you've always you know inspired me that in this realm of you know trying other things and then uh we have a- and on your new album, you can definitely hear a lot of these different influences. You have, uh, you know, you have a number of different uh, styles going on. Um, we, we have a question here from Isabella Tamiris asking: uh, someday I would love to hear Alison talking about how to play other rhythms on banjo, like samba or choro. As a Brazilian, I think she does an amazing job in this area.
2: Oh, Isabella, I'm so honored to hear you say that. You know, someday I'm going to come to Brazil and really learn something about choro music. Um, I've loved it since Mike Marshall turned me on to it with his band Choro Famoso. He's an amazing mandolin player. Well, everything player. He's just an outstanding musician. And he started you know, teaching me some choros way back about 20 years ago. And I just find that musical style to be just like... Like it's almost like having the perfect meal where everything on the plate just complements everything else, just the way those songs are structured, those tunes. um so yes i'm 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 packed. I would love to come I would love to come, bring my nylon string guitar too, because the music of Antonio Carlos Shobeam has been a huge source of source of inspiration to me, the harmonies of his music. Um, and that guitar style is just right up there next to Earl Scruggs for me, so yeah. So thank you, Isabella. I would, I would love to come do that in Brazil.
1: You have a Shora on, on your on your new album, on banjo. Um, how would you explain what Shora music is?
2: OK, I hope that I do it justice. I've, I've been told that it's just like Brazilian folk music. It's an instrumental yeah. music that has a, a structure, the, kind of the way some of our Texas fiddle tunes do, where you'll like have multiple sections, like an A, B, C, D, E section of the tune. Um that's how I understand Shora music to be. So it's it's um, you know, kind of these tidy little melodies, you know, multiple sections, but just like this perfect spoonful of ice cream or something. They're just so gorgeous. That's how I would describe shoros. I'm sure that Wikipedia has a more technical definition. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and did you write that that shore that's on your album? Is that an original? Yeah.
2: I it is. Um I wrote that for not Cohen who's an amazing jazz clarinet player. She's well-known in that Definitely. space, but she loves shora music, too. And um, she plays a lot with some different Brazilian groups and spends a lot of time in Brazil. So I watch her her YouTube videos, and I wrote that tune, inspired by her, hoping that she would agree to play it with me. And I've never met her, but we were introduced through um, Roger Brown, who was the president of Berklee College of Music. And he connected us by email, and I was like, would you, I know you don't know me, and I'm a banjo player. Uh, don't hold that against me would you consider (laughs) would you consider and she was so wonderful and she was like yes we talked on the phone a couple of times and um yeah we did it virtually so we still have never met face to face but i would love to do more with her because it's interesting because banjo and clarinet are both outlier instruments in jazz and i think that there's um a lot of possibilities for what you could do with banjo and clarinet. In fact, somebody told me recently that Pete Fountain was Earl Scruggs' favorite musician and he was a clarinetist. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Long answer to your question, but yes. I did I did write it and I wrote it for a knot with her in mind.
1: And so recording that you had you had almost everything done except the, the clarinet part? Or no.
2: That's a really over? I'm glad you asked that. We had like it was a bit of a trick. So it was like the silver lining of the pandemic in a way because it forced us to think about collaborations with other musicians in a completely different way. And pre-pandemic, if I'd had the idea of recording a tune with a knot, I would have been thinking or you know, saying, so when are you going to be near Nashville? When could you fly here and spend a couple days? And of course, we couldn't do that. So we had to think about other ways of doing things. So the way we did that track was to record a banjo part with um, our the drummer and piano player that I work with playing their playing parts so that there would be some kind of harmonic reference point and a time reference point in the banjo part and then I sent it to Anat and she put the clarinet part on it and then I was like well I'd love to have seven string like Brazilian seven string guitar and Pandero so she recommended two guys that she works with Douglas and Alexandre Laura who are amazing players whom I've also not met them either and Mm -hmm. so we sent the track to them and as I got people's parts back I got rid of the scratch parts that we recorded here with um, drums and piano and then our piano player at the end of the whole thing went back now that he could hear what the seven string guitar was doing uh, because he didn't want to get in the way with his left hand of what the guitar was doing so he went back and did like a more right hand kind of sparkly kind of piano part and then I redid the banjo now that I could like hear everything (laughs) so that's how that track came together but we did start uh, uh, off with a roadmap, and then we kind of took parts away and put parts in. And it's really amazing what you can do with all this stuff behind me, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when doing a track, uh, you know, virtually almost, like, and sending parts all around the world, kind of, um, do you, do? You, would you always do it to a click to make sure it's, um, yeah, it's easy I mean, to, to layer things on top of?
2: Yeah, we say, like, doing it on the grid, right? Kind of need to yeah. have that grid. I mean, you don't have to, but... You, you It saves a lot of time and keeps you from having to chase your tail, you know, uh-huh.
3: right. to
2: have to have that. So, yeah, there's always a click. And, you know, whether or not someone is using the click, that's up to them. You don't wouldn't yeah, have yeah. to once there was some time source. But sure. it makes life easier for the engineer, too, because if you're flying other parts in, you need to be able to line it up with something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can easily kind of get just a little bit off. And as you're layering things on top, it's right. It's, can come apart a little bit
2: you know and then what i've found you know like having spent a lot a lot of time in this very room is like you then you can expend all of your energy chasing something like that and then you don't have the energy left for the creative part Mm -hmm. um, which is never a desired outcome so it's much better to use i think to use the technology to your advantage so you can stay fresh for having a really good idea about something rather than using all your energy to just try to line up the guitar with the piano you know (laughs)
1: You just mentioned uh, having energy for the creative part, and that kind of triggered something. You know, I've been thinking about a lot lately: is how do you kind of, and because you're a very busy person, you have, you know, you're professional musician and record company owner, and uh, how do you make time for that creative energy space? Like, what do you do? Do you have a do you have a method of like a very your your normal day things being very very organized, and then you have a free time kind of
2: what's yeah, your what's what's you your know. method i don't know i don't know i don't have a method really it's just you know every day is different is what i've found and some days i get to have the space to just work on banjo or if i'm producing someone else's record or in the studio doing something of my own or whatever those are the really fun music days and then there are just other days that are kind of spreadsheet days and you know project planner days and you know more just like the kind of left brain responsibilities mm-hmm. of running a record label and I will say it's hard and it's it's one of the things that makes me wonder why artists uh, can be driven to do the DIY label thing because I know from like deep personal experience that it's really hard to balance the two things right. it's it's hard to be creative and like manage a team or and like if you're a DIY artist you're managing you know Indies that you're hiring to do your press and radio and hoping that they're doing the right thing, but you have to manage their effort. And if you don't have the knowledge, that would be stressful, I would think. And it all takes time and energy and focus away from the creative side, which requires such a different kind of discipline because you need to have the space for ideas to happen. It's really hard to sit down and say, okay, I have 15 minutes before my next call. I'm going to write a tune or right. like learn some Joe Pass guitar Like, mm-hmm. It just is not going to happen really so it is a challenge I think you really kind of have to force it I have to give myself permission to step away from the business stuff sometimes and say okay well now I'm gonna focus on banjo things and it's nice to have excuses to do that like a recording session or some gigs coming up or you know that is part of my work so I am entitled to get to spend time on it because it is a little bit like the Bermuda Triangle for me I once I step down that rabbit hole all the clocks stop and i look up again and it's somehow it's four hours later you know yeah so yeah. It, it's it's a challenge but it's a yeah, good challenge yeah.
1: uh, so when did you start working on on this project and, and what was the concept as you what was the concept that we gained and how did it evolve to what you know the finished product
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I started working on this a little bit before the pandemic. I mean, before anybody thought there was going to be a pandemic, like that before part, probably sometime in 2019. And I knew I wanted to make a record of tunes that I had written. And, you know, looking back a little bit to my first record, which was an all-instrumental, all-original kind of thing, and I was like, well, you know, the record that we did that I put out before this one was called Song of the Banjo, and it focused more on The lyrical side of the instrument and trying to help people understand like you were saying earlier hearing the melody and the banjo is sometimes really hard for people so we made a record that had a lot of cover tunes on it so people could already know the melody then hear what the banjo was doing so this one I wanted to just do all my own music and uh, which pretty much ended up being the case except for one track that was a mashup of Here Comes the Sun and the amazing show, "Beam Tune," um, "Waters of March," which is one of my favorite tunes. Everything else I wrote, and I wrote most of it with specific people in mind that I wanted to collaborate with. And um, and one of the first tunes I wrote for the record was actually the tune that I wrote for Sharon Isbin, who's the classical guitarist, the first classical guitarist to win a Grammy, I think. And she's got a few of them I'm on right. her shelf. She's a, a outstanding virtuoso. And I met her when we were doing a pre-telecast performance at the Grammy Awards, maybe 10 years ago. And it was one of those mishmash kind of constructs that they'll do. And it was kind of a, a sort of, you know, Odd Fellows bluegrass band. I was standing next to Ray Benson from Sleep at the Wheel and we were playing Roll On Buddy or some really crazy thing, but Sharon was playing classical guitar. And that's how <laughs> and that, that's how we met. And um, I thought it would be great to do something else with her. And I reached out to her when I was conceptualizing this record. and said, you know, would you consider and is there a classical tune that could work for banjo and guitar? And she said that she couldn't think of one, so I needed to write something for her. And so I wrote the tune regolito. I think that might have been the first piece of music that I wrote for this record. And again, that one, too, I think um, I was trying to figure out what direction to go with it. And my husband, Gary, who's also a bass player, in uh with me and co-founder of the label he suggested that i think of it more as a shora which was really good advice so it is kind of this sort of i don't know a little bit fun and playful oh latin-esque kind of thing yeah. With a lot of triplets in it i think it's also influenced by the soundtrack to the disney film coco because my kids were listening to that like on repeat at the time so which wasn't <laughs> a bad thing
1: <laughs> who else is on the on the record you have a lot of different guests
2: Um, Yeah. Well, one of my big goals was collaborating with other female instrumentalists um, because we're such a a rare breed. I don't really understand why. Um, But Anat was at the top of that list. And of course, Sierra Hall was, too. And um, she's just my favorite mandolin player. Just uh, there's nothing she can't play. And I think the tune we recorded together is proof of that, because it's a tune I wrote on the banjo, and knowing that I wanted to have her play it, but not thinking about whether or not it would be playable on the mandolin. And she told me that one of the phrases required her to play every fret on the first string, <laughs> from like open all the way up to the end of the fingerboard to execute it, and which is crazy. And then she just nailed it too. So she's remarkable. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, a great triumvirate of, of female players. And then of course, The amazing Steve Martin, who's just a wonderful banjo player and somebody I really enjoy playing banjo with, and we did a tune that features him on clawhammer banjo and me on uh, three-finger banjo, and um, it's in double C tuning, which I could attempt to be in. Um, I'd be glad to attempt it, and then I would then be out of tune for the rest of our conversation. But (laughs) I could do it. But for all you banjo players out there, it's, it's where you take your fourth string and tune it down to a C, and your second string and tune it up to a C. And um, oh, I'll, I'll do it anyway. Who doesn't want to hear a banjo player tune, right?
1: While you're doing that, I'm curious on that tune, how much did you write out for Steve? How much did you, uh, how, what did you tell him? To, how did you describe to him to play? Or did you just kind of give him the melody and let him do his thing?
2: I just, uh, I texted Steve this. Uh, A voicemail and i said want to write a b <laughs> that's <laughs> how i did it <laughs> and he um it was pandemic time so you know he was like texting me right back and said sure and the next day i had this he, he wrote Hammer. So that was my three-finger interpretation of it. And I just thought it was like the perfect uh, musical reply to the A. Mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome. So then we got together on a Zoom call and, you know, wrote some com- you know some fancy pants chords, because I can't help myself some of this kind of stuff, which lays so nice in C. You know, uh, just... Set up like a little bit of a conversation between the two banjos, and then yeah and that's how we did it so nothing was written down it's all you know in true banjo fashion it was all oral tradition stuff very good um yeah and then of course we wrote a number chart for the band and you know kind of notated the arrangement and stuff but it's it's not in notation and that's you know one of the cool things about the banjo and i think one of the challenges too because we all read tablature Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we're not thinking about what notes we're playing we're just thinking about what fret on what string we're playing. So that's another thing you know in, in my school that I've really been trying to encourage people as they build up their knowledge of the fingerboard to always be thinking about what note they're holding down just right. so no, that they number.
3: can
2: move in the direction of like being able to say, well okay so I need to add an F note to a G triad so where's an F you know because I didn't learn that way and when I started, hanging around with Mike Marshall a lot and playing in a band New Grange that we had together with Daryl Enger and Phil Auberg and uh, Todd Phillips, like all these super heavyweight players. And half of the band were just monster readers in, a diff- in addition to being like monster players. And then like Tim O'Brien was in that band too. So Todd, Tim and I couldn't read and Phil and, and Daryl and Mike all read like music like crazy. And so you just realize how fast they can communicate ideas and so it was like in the process of like being in that circumstance that I was realized, hey, I really need to know where to find an F note on the fingerboard. So I'm trying to get my students to think about that from the get go, so they don't have to get up to speed later on.
1: Yeah. Um- you also have a tune, Tall Hog at the Trough, sorry, you say it.
2: Okay, it's Tall Hog at the Trough, at the trough. <laughs> it is a weird word, I don't know like the last time I said the word trough outside of the context of this tune. Yeah.
1: Um, so this is an original that you wrote, right?
2: Yeah, it is.
1: And, and what made you think of this this title here?
2: I was walking down the street one day here in Nashville, and I'm from California, so I'm still of these many years um, of living in California and still charmed by the Southern expressions. And um, I was walking down the street with Eddie Stubbs, who you probably know is, he was an announcer on WSM for the Grand Ole Opry for many years, but prior to that he played fiddle with the Johnson Mountain Boys. And he's just kind of a, he's a real legend around town. He's a legend in bluegrass music, at least in my mind. And he's just got this big, this voice that when he says something, you really listen. And he said to me, Allison, you're just a tall hog at the trough. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it came from.
3: <laughs>
2: and I thought, okay, uh, I'm writing that down. So I, I have my, my list of possible tune titles, and that was at the top of the list. And I knew I, that I wanted to write a tune that could be kind of a a tribute to Byron Berline and John Hickman and we we lost both of them and I think in 2021 within a couple of months of each other and for anyone who doesn't know Byron Burline was well Byron and John both like growing up in Southern uh, California in the 70s like I did um yeah you worshipped at the feet of John and Byron and I grew up with playing a lot of music with Stuart Duncan who is one of the best you know fiddle players to ever live ever walk the planet and we were you know about the same age and so always like worshiping at their feet together and um byron did a ton of sessions in la in the 70s he was kind of like the go-to guy like on a lot of the country rock stuff that was happening in, in la in the late 60s through the 70s and john hickman moved to la from ohio and he, so he kind of had that eastern credibility and southern cred about his playing beautiful touch, really sweet guy, and both of those guys showed both of us guys a whole lot of stuff about banjos and fiddles, and so I wanted to write a tune to honor them because Stuart and I used to play their tune, Birmingham Fling, all the time. In fact, I think we played it on the Opry when we were like 15, <laughs> um, so I wanted a tune to tribute them, and so uh, that's that's where Tall Hog at the Trough, where the title got attached to the idea for the tune, and then Stuart came in and... We recorded the tune together, as a banjo Fiddle Duet.
1: Cool. Well, we have a fun little uh, video that you're going to play too. Um, right yeah, now, I'm going
2: to attempt to because as I was thinking about Tall Hog at the Trough, I was thinking about the tallest hog of all, who is, of, call, of course, Porky Pig, in my estimation. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I happily discovered that there's a lot of public domain Porky Pig cartoons out there. So uh, we edited up this this little cartoon um, to play along with. So I thought that would awesome. be really fun for your listeners. I don't know the last time you had Porky Pig on during live, but maybe this yes, is the first, first.
1: We're breaking new ground here. All
2: right. Okay, well, give it a try.
1: Here we go. a great career as you know in the pit orchestra during the silent.
2: <laughs> you know I, th- I think that i might have actually i've spent a little time um s- creating scores for silent films and i really do enjoy that there's lots <laughs> of room for creativity in there i think
1: yeah it's it's, it's good practice it's a good it's a good exercise to just kind of inspire you to to write things
2: yeah absolutely i completely agree definitely gives you some ideas
1: yeah um let's see so we have we have a We have some comments here. We have a comment from uh, Ken Trout that uh, says, I really like the Here Comes the Sun mashup. Are you going to put out a tab version for for us?
2: Oh, um, I could be tempted to do that. Um, One of the things (laughs) I I love to um, do is like playing that double C tuning. (laughs) One of the things I hate to do is write tab, but I do like to share great um, music on the banjo. And one of the cool things about that is the way The banjo, the melody lays on the banjo like it was written for the banjo, especially in double C tuning. So, Uh um, yeah, I could illustrate it if you want to hear more tuning, but um, (laughs) why not? So, again, you would just tune your second string up to a C, and fourth string down to a C. that was like a happy discovery and uh, it would be good to tab it out because I think a lot of people would enjoy playing it but it's not too hard to find so until I get get the tab done um, yeah feel free to try double C tuning it's all there
1: Yeah, I can see this becoming another one of those those standards that you, you hear when we're working at Fest and people come by and play the banjos. <laughs> that they they'll, they'll start playing that tune. Oh well, there would be, be worse
2: things for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a great tune.
1: It is. Um, I want to bring Jamie back in, and uh, we have some some other comments and questions. Maybe yours, I think.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to follow up on the on the tab point as well when we posted the, that video uh, on the page for this particular episode, I think uh, there was like 14, 15 comments down there. I think half of them were, oh, can I get a tab for this, please? Oh, <laughs> this OK. Cool.
2: Well, you know, so, sure. Definitely I've...
0: not the singular uh, request.
2: I... I, I will do that. I could do that for people. No. I, I know that I needed, I, I remember begging for Tab to Doug's tune <laughs> when I really <laughs> wanted to learn that Doug's Dillard tune so I don't want to deprive people. It is so fun to play.
0: All right, guys. Well, this is being recorded, so you heard it here first. We can hold it okay. first, next time. <laughs> okay, here. you
2: can hold me to it. <laughs> you
0: can hold me to it. <laughs> um, DJ Blue asked a little earlier in the show. This is one of my favorite ones. Uh, when we're talking about blues, when you end up in a blues jam and someone says, "Take it, banjo," how can I avoid embarrassing myself?
2: <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, is it was it the banjo part that's embarrassing? <laughs>
0: uh, no, he's just tra- no, he just he wants just to be able to be. How to, able, what uh, to play in a, in a blues situation? Yeah
2: you can just stay in these shapes stay in your chord shapes you know so you can't really go wrong if you stay in these chord shapes just go and grab this g chord remember i showed you this g7 chord almost to the end of the phrase, all I've got to do is play some D7 stuff. So don't shoot too high. Just stay here. Stay under this G7 shape. Because, you know, you don't really even need to change chords. You can just really play stuff that's in your under your fingers. Like that pentatonic scale stuff. consecutive notes so like if this is a note that you want to go to you can slide into it and if you play if you play multiple notes it gives the banjo a little bit more body too so rather than Try like get going out on a limb and getting stuck up here somewhere, and it's like, oh my god, what do I do? And now I'm just playing single notes that are just really pingy and they're not sticking out. Stay down low. That's that's my tip. Let me know how that works for you. But if you stay out of this chord sh- shape, there will be some meat behind what you do, and I think um, that could really help too because you're competing sonically with instruments that have a lot more body to them. So mm-hmm. that would be my that would be my hack for that situation.
0: I <laughs> notice you're also playing up towards the neck. As well. So the, the banjo sounds a lot fuller uh, anyway. Is that intentional or is that just kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's a really
2: good and... point. I wasn't yeah. thinking about that, but yes. But you wouldn't want to. Sing, I don't think you want this. Yeah. Well. I, I think this sounds better. It makes the strings ring in a better way.
0: rather a bit more grit to it than.
2: Yeah, I agree. So that that's yeah. a really good point, Jamie. So I would try that too is uh playing up closer to the neck and grabbing a fist full of notes rather than just one and staying in one chord position that's you know and just experiment with what you can do that's right under your fingers start there because i think a lot of guitar players do that too honestly uh you know i mean you can go all over the place but a lot of times i feel like those blues guys are really just trying to milk the notes that are right there under their hand you know
1: mm-hmm. and they just have a lot more sustain
2: and when they bend they don't go out of tune but you can always bend it's just you're gonna go out of tune but that's okay if you know that's gonna happen so now i know my third string's out of tune i can just tune it a little bit by pulling on it if it if it went sharp like it did i expected it to go flat though if it had gone flat i could push on it up here and so you can kind of tune, get yourself back in tune after your solo <laughs> yeah okay
0: awesome. very, yeah. good. very good uh dave anything else
1: Well, I I, I do see a request for for if you want to play something out. Um, Isabella is asking if you could maybe play a little Shoro. Oh, Um, gosh.
2: I don't know if I remember that one at the moment. But (laughs) Isabella, I owe you one. I haven't haven't played that one in a little while. But I need to get that one back under my fingers, because it was a a little of it anyway for you um it's it's yeah. a tricky one because it's in b flat but it lays because you've got that g which is actually a note in the scale so so you can it gives you a string to try an open string to travel on which is always important to have when you're playing melodic style yeah. isabella i'll come play that for you in brazil someday
0: oh there you go that's cool i always always like you can always tell when you're in the presence of uh, of just a virtuoso musician when oh i can't remember i can't remember and then they proceed to just remember and just, <laughs> just piece out jens quiver does that all the time he like, says i don't remember how to play it and it's absolutely oh
2: just kills yeah jens is remarkable he's such a yeah, he's one of my favorite you. players my yeah well, but you're sweet as
0: i you that was, my, that was where i was going was was the you know you, you can't remember but you still manage to just pull this thing out that was a million times better than I could ever dream of playing anything. So Aww, you
2: well guys done. are so nice to me. Thank yeah, you.
0: Well, we, we like it. Uh, we'll have you back. <laughs> hey, okay. the cool thing is this is episode 89, which means we've got 11 more to go until we meet the uh, the magic 100. So we're going to have to do a yeah. special episode on the uh, which will be hopefully this year. If we wow. if we stop slacking yeah. and stop taking breaks between <laughs> episodes.
2: That's that's very exciting <laughs> for you guys because you started during the pandemic, right? This was a yeah, we did. pandemic project. Yeah. Yeah, mm. so have have we come that far since the since those days. That's encouraging.
0: Yeah. And this is like your third?
2: Mm. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, mm. I can't remember there's a lot more exactly cats in
0: the first one. Yeah.
2: Yes, there are always yeah. the cats that can somehow hear hear uh Zoom calls and streaming events in a way we can't. <laughs> so well, they're like always children. yes, crawling around me when they hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes.
3: Awesome. So, Very uh, good. any Go ahead. Sorry.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, anytime your needs call for a banjo, <laughs> feel free to holler at me.
0: 100%. And so you're in San Diego next week, and you're playing UC mm-hmm. San Diego, right? So...
2: Well, we're playing a new venue that they have that's downtown okay. called Park and Market.
0: Very cool. I know there's a couple so, of viewers who are going to be there as well. They've been mentioned it in the comments, so that's exciting. And, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Well, to you know? we're
2: excited to, to be coming back to San Diego, my my hometown. So it's been a while since we've played yeah. in San Diego. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, we'll see you on the Wednesday here at the factory, and uh, yes, we'll. get a few things going.
2: Awesome! Thank
0: you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, it has always, been a lot of fun. Yeah, always fantastic. Thank uh, thanks to Matt for setting up the audio in the background. That was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, I'll pass Dave, it on. Any, any further yeah. comment? Are you good?
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. this was good, and enlightening for me, and uh, I think I'll see you at Fresh Grass. Maybe. I think you're. All, you're in, you're yeah, the schedule. we'll
2: be there at, in North Adams, uh, North Adams, Massachusetts at Fresh Grass in the Fall.
1: Okay, very good. I'll
2: look forward to it.
1: Right. Do we want to play anything out, or or do, or do we played a lot uh, today? So
2: oh, I could. I don't know what. Do we have any requests besides the shore which I can't remember all of. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure we don't want to hear more tuning, but uh, I could play a little of Earl's Breakdown, because I was. Um, I had the incredible, unspeakable honor of getting to play Earl Scruggs' banjo a couple weeks ago, his Granada banjo. That's right. It, wow. Yeah, it, was, it was officially donated to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Um, it, had, it had been on extended loan. But the Scruggs family decided to make its residency there, its residence there, permanent.
3: Uh, Jerry so was part of
2: that, wasn't they did a really cool ceremony to in- induct the banjo into the Hall of Fame, and uh, the Earls of Leicester came down, and they got some of the, they got Lester's guitar out of the case, and I think they got, I can't remember if Monroe's mandolin was part of it, I think it was, and. Uh, Johnny Warren, uh, Paul Warren's fiddle was part of the deal, so all the instruments no. got to play together again, and the humans that got to play the instruments were beside themselves yeah. with excitement. Just
0: real quick, before you play, how how was that experience? Like, how was playing the banjo? I mean, outside of the fact that it's all scrubs, like, did it did it sound and feel as good as as everyone
2: thinks it should? Be? Yeah, I mean it's it's really alive. <laughs> it's really alive. Yeah. It still has earls like dirt and stuff right wow. here. Like wow. you can feel it's a little gummy and you're like, "Oh, that was earls DNA right there." <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: awesome.
2: So it was it was pretty special and then and then when like even if it was just like some dude's banjo you'd be like well this is a great banjo and then you realize that it was not only earl's banjo not just like one of earl's banjos but it was the banjo that played those classic songs okay and so you know it's like all of us standing on that stage were like we're standing here because earl scruggs did what he did on this banjo and lester did what he did on this guitar and we were all it was really amazing it was like you know goose flesh kind of thing i was standing backstage with sean camp and holding the banjo up next to you know so it could talk to lester's guitar just like letting the <laughs> instruments have their <laughs> 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 it was super vibey i mean i couldn't believe that i drew the uh, the long straw or whatever it is that i was the lucky one to get to do that but it was very special and charlie cushman played a little bit of earl's breakdown on the banjo too and going kind of passed the banjo back and forth while the curators of the museum held their collective breath as we <laughs> passed it back and forth but we promised we wouldn't drop it so <laughs> it all turned out okay
3: awesome.
0: and uh, we'll see you we'll see you next week but um, in the meantime let's uh, let's get out of here with some some old breakdown
2: oh let's see if i can if i can yeah. remember this one